Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our seminar podcast. My name is Tianhao Zhao, and I'm back with Eric Nielsen and Helena Rudolph. As you know, we are all masters of environmental studies students at the University of Pennsylvania, and we've been studying how the city of Washington D.C. is preparing to mitigate and adapt to climate change. This is our third and final podcast. And this time we will be talking about communities in Washington D.C. and the social aspect of the city's climate change efforts. Now, before we begin this conversation, we should really talk about what D.C. society looks like. Yeah, D.C. is a pretty unique city.、Uh, of course, it has its own government, its own neighborhoods, and、uh, the citizens, but it's also the U.S. capital. This means that during the day, DC's population swells with both tourists and federal employees. In fact, DC's population grows by 79 percent every single day. That's an increase of nearly half a million people. This presents a huge strain on the、uh, city's resources and an influx of greenhouse gas emissions. But Washingtonians have really taken to becoming stewards of environmental sustainability in their city. For example. Nearly 40% of DC residents take public transportation to get to work. That's one of the highest rates of public transportation ridership in the country. There is another aspect of DC society, though, that's、uh, really going to be central to our discussion today. Poverty is a, a persistent problem、uh, within DC and hasn't recovered following the Great Recession. Uh, between 2007 and 2015, the number of Washingtonians living in poverty grew by 18,500 people. In all, about 17% of the city's population is impoverished. Most of、uh, DC's low-income and unemployed residents are concentrated within wards seven and eight, just southeast of the Anacostia River. As we've discussed in previous podcasts, DC's rivers are known for flooding. Low-income populations are extremely vulnerable when it comes to adapting to climate change, whether it's extreme flooding or urban heat. Yes, this is a very concerning issue. To learn a little more about how poverty and other social factors are impacting DC's reactions to climate change, I'm going to invite Helena to lead the rest of our conversation. Thanks, guys. This is a very important aspect of climate change adaptation that, in my opinion, doesn't always get the attention it deserves. Cities are home to a wide array of vulnerable populations, notably low-income people. When it comes to planning for climate change, we also have to be planning for the elderly, children, and those in poor health. Generally, we have to be thinking about groups that rely more heavily upon government and community-based programs. In emergency situations, these social safety nets might truly represent the difference between life and death for some people. Has DC identified its most vulnerable population when it comes to climate change? Yeah, DC's most recent climate plan is called Climate Ready DC. Now, this is an adaptation plan rather than a mitigation plan, so it's really focusing on how the people of DC can prepare for a changing climate. The plan prioritizes a few different assets. Some we commonly see in these types of sustainability and climate change plans, things like infrastructure and natural resources, but the plan also devotes large portions to planning for community resources, neighborhoods, and people. The plan assesses DC's most at-risk areas by dividing the city into its wards, which are the city's eight districts. 
It evaluates the resources, infrastructure, and people that live in each ward and weigh that information against various environmental threats in order to determine risk. It's clear that the city is prioritizing resources that low-income and working-class residents rely upon in particular. Perhaps the city realizes that any risk posed to social safety net resources prevents a sort of ripple effect. Low-income residents are already in a poor position to insulate themselves from the impacts of climate change, things like heat waves and flooding, and community institutions such as libraries, schools, medical centers, and public housing provide resources that otherwise might be unavailable to those residents when they're in need of assistance. If these community resources are damaged or made unavailable due to some climate change event, low-income residents will be even further disadvantaged when it comes to adapting to climate change. Now, Ward 7 and 8, just across the Anacostia River, are considered to be the most vulnerable to the impacts of climate change because they're home to disproportionately high levels of unemployment, poverty, obesity, asthma, and an elderly population. If you spent any significant amount of time in D.C., this probably isn't news to you, as Anacostia has long been underserved and, quite honestly, segregated from the rest of the city. Both wards are highly food insecure, with residents in those wards having the fewest number of grocery stores in the district and the greatest travel times to reach those stores. Both wards also have among the lowest rates of energy-efficient infrastructure in the city, things like LEED and Energy Star buildings, and the lowest access to parks and farmers markets. When it comes to climate change, though, what's most concerning is Anacostia's ability to adapt to extreme heat and to respond to flooding, since most of Ward 7 and 8 are lacking in green space and lie within a 20 or 50 year floodplain. What are some options for these vulnerable populations when it comes to adapting to climate change? The city has outlined a few adaptation strategies that target these populations specifically. One of the city's most important adaptation methods is to strengthen connections between the community and local organizations, which might help vulnerable residents to become more resilient to the economic and health impacts of climate change. Having resources within your community that are easy to access and that are prepared to serve residents in an emergency are really essential when it comes to improving overall resiliency and serving populations that will necessarily be in need of aid during a climate event. For example, on extreme heat days where the district's average temperature exceeds 95 degrees, it opens up its cooling centers to the public. On these days, the city urges senior citizens in particular to head to their nearest public senior center, library, or a number of other publicly listed air-conditioned buildings if they don't have central cooling in their own home. The city is also planning to strengthen its own presence in vulnerable communities, addressing extreme heat and the urban heat island in particular. The city plans to prioritize areas that are lacking green space for its future expansions in green space and tree planting. D.C. is also in the process of retrofitting many of its public housing units to make them more energy efficient. The city has a few programs that help low-income residents adapt to climate change within their own homes as well. For example, the Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program assists low-income households to pay their heating and cooling bills. The Weatherization Assistance Program is funded by the U.S. Department of Energy and provides low-income residents with an opportunity to make their homes more energy efficient and prepared for extreme weather. Local community-based organizations actually administer this program in D.C. and hire local contractors to install the weatherization measures, things like heating and cooling systems, energy-efficient appliances and lighting, and insulation. So D.C. is one of the many cities across the U.S. that have uh, pledged to uphold the Paris Climate Agreement uh, locally. 
despite the Trump administration's choice to withdraw from it. How does all of this tie into the Paris Climate Agreement? Yeah, so kind of the trouble here is that the Paris Climate Agreement really is about decreasing greenhouse gas emissions and keeping our global temperature rise from reaching a dangerous level. However, there is a provision in the agreement where more developed nations must contribute financially to the sustainability initiatives in less developed countries. It's sort of an international equalizer intended to help still developing countries mitigate the impacts of what would be the most polluting stage in their development processes. Some people might also say that us developed countries have caused the vast majority of this damage to the climate, and we owe a little help to those countries that haven't polluted as much, but will still experience the worst impacts of climate change. While D.C. can certainly decrease its greenhouse gas emissions, as we've spoken in previous podcasts, um, it would require a huge cooperative effort between these Paris Accord cities to help out with efforts abroad. The agreement originally pledged $100 billion to developing countries, and obviously the U.S. represented a large share of that commitment. However, in a way, D.C. is perpetuating this equalizing principle in other ways. Much of the city's adaptation plan focuses on vulnerable populations. What are their barriers to adapting to climate change? What resources do they need in order to adapt? And can we ensure that everyone in our community is prepared to withstand the worst impacts of climate change? It's a similar concept to that which the international community has adopted by agreeing to fund sustainable development efforts in developing countries. In all, D.C. leadership has made clear that its low-income and vulnerable populations aren't invisible in this process, and that the city has a duty to act in areas where citizens might be less prepared to address extreme weather on their own. That wraps up our podcast series. Thanks for listening. We hope you've learned a bit about how the city of Washington, D.C. is stepping up to address climate change, particularly following the Trump administration's withdrawal from the Paris Climate Agreement. We will continue to pay close attention to how this city and our country as a whole reacts to global climate change. And we're especially curious to see how Washington, D.C., President Trump's new hometown, might sway the politics of climate change in the future.